The title of our message today is Christmas in the Old Testament. And I want to look at three different passages that speak to us long before Jesus was ever born about the birth of a child and something that would be spectacular about him. Something that would be amazing about this child that was going to be born. The, 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 the idea of a savior story, the, the savior story of Jesus is, as one story, uh, movie put it, the greatest story of all time. The, the idea that there was prophesied long ago, one who would come, who would save his people from their sins and give them eternal life. And then to see that child born and brought into the world and all the things around it is spectacular. We um, today, uh, savior stories are very popular in movies. You have Star Wars. You got Luke Skywalker, who was prophesied before. Now, the way they wrapped the movie up stinks, all right? The way they wrapped everything up, I'm going to admit that. But the, the concept and the idea caught the imagination of a generation in the 70s that, that, who is Luke Skywalker? And why was he prophesied before? And what does it all mean? And I also hate to bring up Harry Potter, because I know there's some controversy with it. But if you don't know the story of Harry Potter, it's the same thing. There is a prophecy of a child who's going to be able to set them free and that child ends up being Harry Potter, which is an odd name for a savior, I agree, but it is a movie. Um, so how do we know that this is real? How do we know that this is not just some compiling, I'm going to give you the words of critics of the Bible, that this wasn't compiled by Bronze Age sheep herders? or goat herders. That's what they'll say. They'll say, you're going to follow a Bible that was written by Bronze Age goat herders. I, I don't know of a goat herder that wrote any part of this. Certainly David was a shepherd. Certainly we may have some of the other prophets that were goat herders, but I don't know that that disqualifies you from being able to hear from God and write this down. So if God's going to give us a book, he had to give us something that we would know that we could believe in it. And so God did that in a few different ways. Well, we could talk about archaeology. We could talk about the uh, geographical aspect of the Old Testament, the accuracy in history. We could talk about those things. But there's one particular thing that God did that I call the signature of God. God signed it. And that was that he told us what was going to happen before it happened. And I want to say that again because I just want us to really get the idea here and to know what's being said here. God's telling us, I'm proving to you that this is from me because I'm telling you what's going to happen before it happens. That doesn't happen. And where there are psychics today, they really have a pitiful record. When you go and you look at psychics and whether or not people track these things, whether or not they kept them in Edgar Casey and a few of the others in the past, whether or not they, they were accurate, they show a high inaccuracy rate. The Bible is incredible in how much it foretells and what happens with it. You may even remember Nostradamus became kind of more famous after 9-11 because somebody, he spoke in quatrains, which is a literary device that's kind of rhythmic and it's got some weird things in it. And they can be fit into a lot of different situations and circumstances. But somebody put up a fake quatrain on social media after 9-11 from Nostradamus that to this day, people still talk about being true. They'll still say, Nostradamus predicted the towers coming down. And they'll read that false quatrain 
because it's amazing. When you read it and you go, wow, he said that. How long ago did Nostradamus live, this French atheist? And now he spoke this and it came true. No, it didn't come true. Someone made it up. But God's word tells us what's going to happen before it actually happens. And prophecy is, that's not the only reason for prophecy. Prophecy is there to get us a, a picture of what the Bible is all about. And we know that the Old Testament, the law, the history books, the prophets, all of it is speaking of Jesus and giving us a picture of the Messiah who is going to come and be born and save man from their sins. In Genesis chapter 3, this is very close to the beginning of the Old Testament. You have chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3 in Genesis. It's the very beginning. There is a prophecy that says that a descendant, or it uses the word seed, a seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. What serpent? You're only one chapter removed from the serpent. Just go to context. It's chapter 2 that a seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. However, his heel is going to be bruised. This is eventually fulfilled in Jesus dying on the cross and resurrecting, surviving it by crushing the head of the serpent on the cross. He made an open spectacle of Satan on the cross. Now, this seed that that's, that's starts in Genesis chapter 3 is then spoken to Abraham through you, Abraham, is going to come one who is going to bless all nations. Think about the grandeur of that statement. Every nation is going to be blessed by one of your descendants, Abraham. It's pretty amazing. And today there are two billion Christians on the earth and it has influenced many more than that over the generations and we're told. Then we're told it's going to be Isaac and then we're told it's going to be Jacob. Remember, Abraham is also the father of the Arab peoples of the world, of the Jews and the Arab people of the world. So when he said one's going to come, it had a couple of lines there could go. Then it went down to, to um, Isaac and then Jacob and then Judah. All of this is prophesied in the Bible that the Messiah was going to be a descendant of Judah. I wouldn't have chose Judah, but God did. And then David and then some prophecies that detailed he was going to be called out of Egypt. He was going to be born in Bethlehem. So a few more things that would, talk, that would pinpoint who he was. So as the New Testament, Old Testament goes through these prophecies, it brings us to Jesus. And so when Paul would travel around the world and plant churches in the first century after the resurrection of Jesus, it's, he, the, the Bible said he would go into the synagogues and he would reason with them that Jesus was the Messiah according to the Scriptures. He knew the importance of these prophecies and what they would say. And he would reason with them. And many people believed. And if you're struggling with faith today, I hope that, um, excuse me, if you're struggling with faith, a lot of people have real difficulties with faith. They struggle with faith. See the mistake I made? If you're struggling with doubt, okay, I hope that this will be a, a blessing to you. Because doubt is, well, if you're doubting, welcome to the club. I don't think there's anybody that has gone their whole life and has never doubted. The Jesus healed or delivered a man's son who said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And believing is a decision. And this, I think, if you're doubting, is going to help you because it is the way that God signed the Bible. Now listen to what God says. I want to start here. I'm going to change my notes up a little bit. That's an announcement to the media team that they got to be on their toes now. Because uh, 
I taught this message last night and it took me a little over an hour to do it. And this kid can't do that today. All right, so I'm cutting it down a little bit. If you want longer messages, go to Saturday night. But maybe the Saturday night people don't even want longer messages. Maybe they're like, I'm gonna go to Sunday morning from now on. <laughs> so listen to what God said about prophets, about himself, how you would know that he's true. This is God saying, this is the way I'm going to reveal myself to you, okay? Which God gets to do that. People say, well, if God's real, then let there be lightning right now. God never said, I'm gonna reveal myself when you call for lightning by giving you lightning. God said, this is the way I'm revealing myself. He gets to choose that. So listen to what he says in Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. He says, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. That's his statement. I'm God, there's no other. I'm God, there's none like me. How is he unique? Verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand. In other words, he's going to tell you from ancient times things that will happen. He's going to tell you the future. Now, there are magicians who do it, who will read people's minds or they, and, and I, I don't know if this is gonna surprise you or not. I, there was a time in my life when I wanted to be a magician. I actually bought tricks and did them as a kid. I could do a few tricks for you if I was prepared, because they are tricks. Um, I also wanted to be a weatherman and I, don't, and I became a preacher. So I don't know what that says about me. Probably not good, all right? That I want to be a magician, a weatherman, and then a preacher, and here I am. Um, but uh, why am I telling you that story? I don't even have any idea <laughs> why, I'm, why I'm telling you that story. Um, all right, so let's just get back to the idea that God says, I'm going to tell you the future. That's my signature. That's how you can know. So when we study the Old Testament and we find prophecies, that's God signing it. You can make all the demands you want. God's going to have to reveal himself to me. David Hume, the, the atheist, the deceased atheist, said extraordinary claims demand extraordinary evidence. And so he refused the Bible on those bases that there was an extraordinary evidence. I would argue with his evidence. I do believe the Bible gives us extraordinary evidence. I'll give you an example and then we'll get into our text. An example is, um, there's, a, there's a city called the city of Tyre. It's a little north of Israel on the Mediterranean coast. God said to Tyre, I think it was in Ezekiel 26, you can look this up, I am against you and several nations, and I'm gonna raise up nations who are going to attack you and they're going to scrape the city clean and throw it into the ocean. Now, that's quite a prophecy. Given during the days of Ezekiel, we know when Ezekiel wrote it. Okay, Ezekiel was a prophet when they were taken into captivity into Babylon. So we know when Ezekiel wrote the book of Ezekiel. Nebuchadnezzar marched on Tyre attacked it and they moved out onto an island. There's an island right off the coast and they moved onto the island and they built some walls around it and Nebuchadnezzar just from the mainland waved at them. All right, you guys win and he moved on. So they, they were able to survive the onslaught of Nebuchadnezzar as he was conquering the world by going out onto the island. Well, Alexander the Great comes along. Alexander the Great, we know when he lived, he's a couple hundred years before the time of Christ, right? 250, 225, somewhere around there. So he's in this, this silent section between the Old and the New Testament. We know it's a couple hundred years after Ezekiel. This is really important. We know that. There's no doubt. 
couple hundred years after Ezekiel. Alexander the Great comes to Tyre. They move out onto the island and abandon the city by, in, on the coast. And so he commands his soldiers, take this city, tear it down, and throw the bricks into the... He wanted to build a causeway out to the island. And so he did that and it dropped off into the deep and he had to reroute it. He ran out of stuff to throw into the sea from the city of Tyre. So he went into the forest and cut down trees and cast trees into the water and built his siege engines and took the city of Tyre. That was fulfilled exactly like, like the Bible said it was by Alexander the Great. There's a story that's told, and whether it's apocryphal or not, we don't know, but there's a story that's told that as he went down from Tyre, he went to Jerusalem, and we know he didn't destroy Jerusalem. We know that's true. There was a reason Alexander didn't attack and destroy Jerusalem. The priest met him out front and took him in and showed him in the scriptures where he was. He read about himself in the Old Testament, and so Alexander the Great left Jerusalem alone. Go, go look up the account yourself. You can read the account of Alexander the Great riding into Jerusalem, the way they met him, all wearing white robes, all the priests wearing white robes, and how Alexander the Great read about himself in the scriptures. And because of that, he did not take things from Jerusalem and left Jerusalem standing. All of these are amazing accounts. Now, there's a section of, on the mainland of Tyre that is today a reserve. And at the end of Ezekiel, it says, the city shall never be rebuilt again. And there's a section that is a reserve now that is believed to be where the old city was. So it was fulfilled completely and totally. Now, I had somebody say to me one time, that doesn't impress me. My response was, who are you, Shania Twain? That don't impress me much. Who are you, Brad Pitt? Uh, so I, I can't do anything about that. If God can foretell something happening as amazing as a city being scraped and thrown into the sea and you go, I'm not impressed by that. Well, then I don't know what it's going to take. I feel sorry for you. I really do that you're not going to be able to really receive what God has because if God has said, I'm going to do some supernatural things in the Bible, I'm going to give you things that happen before they happen. And if you go, well, that's not what I want. Well, then maybe you're not really struggling with evidence. Maybe you're struggling with a desire as to whether or not you really want to believe, as to whether or not you really want to be a Christian, which is people's choice. God gives people those choices. So let's talk about some examples of biblical prophecy. Um, I want to give you just quickly uh, a prophecy that Jesus gave. And this is important because Jesus was a prophet as well. Um, we did a, a video a while back called the Jesus Predictions, a hot topic video called the Jesus Predictions, where we covered the different things that Jesus prophesied that has come true. This was one of them. And this is in Matthew 24, 1 and 2, as Jesus is getting ready to talk about the last days, the, the very end of days. And in verse 1 of Matthew 24, it says, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. Now, the temple was impressive, built by Herod. Some believe it was as tall as 10 stories high with a gold, bar, a gold um, band around the top with two giant pillars out in front of the temple that were named. And when you walked up on the Temple Mount, the Dome of the Rock is a couple stories high. So you can imagine something being close to 10 stories high, how impressed you were. And to this day, we are still impressed by the stones that Herod the Great had quarried and taken up onto the Temple Mount. When, when you go to Jerusalem, you will go to the Wailing Wall and then there's a tunnel to the left. And when you go down that tunnel, you come to the largest stone in the whole thing. 
It's like 45 feet long, four feet high and four feet wide. I forget the weight of this stone. And yet it's cut in such perfect 90 degree angles that it fits next to the stones that are with it. You can't even slip a piece of paper between them. There's no mortar in these stones. They're just exactly cut and fit together. So they're impressive to humans. But these guys are talking to Jesus and we're going to learn something about Jesus here. He's the creator. Jesus is, the Bible says that nothing was created, nothing was created unless Jesus created it. He created all things. And so they're all like, check out this building. Look how great this building is. And Jesus is like, it's all right. <laughs> Doesn't really compare to some of the nebulas that I've created. Maybe you'll see one day, but it's all right. Here's what Jesus did say. Jesus said to them, do you see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. The prophecy, everything on this temple mount is going to be taken away. It's similar to the prophecy of Tyre where the whole city is going to be scraped into the sea, but this time it's going to be scraped off the temple mount. So in, this is in somewhere around 30 that he said this. 40 years later, uh, the Romans have sieged Jerusalem for four years, sieged them in 66 and took them in 70. When they do, they kill hundreds of thousands. They crucify thousands. They disperse thousands of people everywhere and they destroy the temple. They're so angry that they have had to siege the city for four years. You can imagine an army trying to defeat Jerusalem. The Romans, being the most powerful armies, being much stronger than anything that's inside, but they can't get in. When they finally do, they destroyed it all. And Josephus tells us of that destruction. But they, they, they wanted to get the gold out of the, the rubble after they burned the temple, and they took the gold out and then pushed the stones, the soldiers, off of the temple mount. So if you go to the Wailing Wall and you go right, you go to a pile of stones that they excavated where you see the sidewalk underneath that's been broken up by these stones falling off the Temple Mount onto the ground. And you can look up and see how high the Temple Mount is from it, but they fell where they were. And when they excavated it, they left it there so that it's, it's either temple stones or other buildings that were up on the Temple Mount in the days of Jesus. And today, if you go to the Temple Mount, there's not one stone, not one from the temple that's left up on that temple mount. How, how would Jesus know so long ago to say, do you see all these things? Not one stone is going to be left up here. It happened in 125 as well. There was another attack on Jerusalem and the remaining of this, the remaining stones that were up on top were pushed off. And I actually have a picture of myself on top of those stones. It's kind of a funny story. I, I wanted a picture because I wanted to use it in teachings. I wanted to be able to say, here's the stones. And I got a cool picture of me in a black jacket. I'm up on top of those stones. What you don't see, it, there was a red velvet rope all around the stones, by the way. <laughs> and so what you don't see when, when I take the picture and right after the picture is taken is somebody, hey, get off there. Oh, geez, I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. Get off here and go over the rope. I climbed over to get here. But you can go there and you can see those stones today. And they are a reminder that God tells the future and that's his signature. He said, I am, I'm going to tell, tell the future and you're going to know it's me because I'm telling you what's happening. And so Jesus did that. Now let's talk about Christmas prophecies, three of them that talk about Jesus. They're going to foretell his birth and something about his birth, but they're also going to foretell something about his character. That's what makes these prophecies amazing. They're not only prophecies that tell of an event, but something special about the person who is going to be born. So the first one that I want to look at, we find in Matthew, uh, yeah, Matthew 1, 22 and 23, 
I'm not going to read the Christmas story with this. I just want to give you the prophecies here. This is in the middle of the Christmas story. And it says, and, and this is one of the great things about reading in Matthew. And I'm, I started after a Christian reading Matthew and I would come to passages that would say, this happened as it said to fulfill this. And as a young Christian, I found myself going back and forth into the Old Testament and finding these prophecies that foretold what would be done. And so this is one of them. If you're reading Matthew, you're going to find this in the first chapter. So all of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now, that's an amazing prophecy because it's an impossible prophecy. It's not just a prophecy that a child's going to be born under certain circumstances, but a virgin is going to be born. Now, the critics are going to tell you the word for virgin there is the word for young woman in the Hebrew. And it is true. The word for virgin there is the word for young woman. And so they say, well, that proves this was just talking about a child. And when you go back to the prophecy, there's a near fulfillment and there's a far fulfillment. And oftentimes prophecy had that. And so, well, let's just look at that in that light. Let's just say that this is just any woman. This is just a young woman. That's all it means, a young woman. So here's what it says in Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. How is a young woman conceiving and having a child a sign? Young women conceive and have children all the time. Behold, I give you a sign. Or I give you a sign. Then he says, behold. Uh, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold. If it's a young girl, a young girl shall conceive and bear a son. How is that a behold moment? The Bible is full of beholds and beholds mean this is going to blow your mind. That's my own paraphrase of behold. But behold, a young girl is going to get pregnant and have a child. Well, it doesn't say much. And we do know the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, that was completed 200 years before the time of Christ, 185 years before the time of Christ. The Septuagint is Greek and it used the word virgin to translate this. So they understood it to mean virgin long before Jesus was ever born, long before the church was ever around. They understood it to mean virgin. Plus we have commentaries from rabbis who understood it to mean virgin as well. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, but maybe the most spectacular is that his name shall be called Emmanuel. That this child who's going to be born of this virgin is going to be God with us. Which is, again, another impossibility. The, the second prophecy that I want us to look at comes from Matthew chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. And again, you only have to get to this part to understand this or to the second chapter to get this passage. It says, when Herod the king heard this, the Gentile wise men had traveled from Babylon, the region of Babylon, and they had come to follow the star to Herod. They wanted to know now, where does the Bible say a king is going to be born? They saw the star of a king, so they're coming to find a king. And it says that when Herod heard this, he was troubled in all of Jerusalem with him because Herod is just trying to hang on to power. He murdered his own sons because he thought they were a threat to him on the throne. I think it was Augustus who said, Caesar Augustus, it's safer to be Herod's pig than his son because it was appalling to them that he would kill his own sons because he thought they were a threat. He also killed his wife Miriam because he thought she was a threat and then made a statue to her so people could pay her tribute. 
Might have been a better idea not to murder her. That might have been a better tribute not to murder her. So all of Jerusalem is troubled with him because they're worried. These, these Gentiles, these wise men are coming and they're looking for a king. And, and when he had gathered together the chief priests, the scribes, the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They ask for a king. He says, where is the Messiah going to be born? So he knew the Messiah was going to be this king. Then in verse five, so they said, in Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it is written by the prophets, but you Bethlehem, O land of Judah, are not least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. Now he takes a couple of passages from Micah and he puts them together there. Let me read you the prophecy about Bethlehem out of Micah 5.2. This is Micah 5.2. This is the prophecy in the Old Testament. But you Bethlehem, you Paphrath, though you are little among the thousands of Judea, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one who will be ruler over Israel. It doesn't say a ruler, but the one who will be a ruler over Israel. Then listen to this. Whose goings forth are of old from everlasting. It not only tells us that this child who is going to be the one who will rule Israel will be born in Bethlehem, but that his days are from everlasting. He is of old. When I was again in Israel, I don't know, a decade ago, maybe a little longer than that, our, the guy, my, our guide came and said, listen, there's a guy in the Jewish quarter of old Jerusalem who likes to debate pastors and he wants to meet with you and he wants to see if you want to bring in your people to talk with him, to ask him questions. And I said, sure, I'll go talk to him. So I, I went into a shop that was there and immediately we started to debate. Immediately he started bringing up questions about Christianity compared to Judaism. And so I finally said, what about Micah 5 too? What about right at the end of that where it says the one who will be ruler over Israel will be of old and his days are from everlasting? And he said to me, oh, well, that just means that God made a bunch of spirits before he gave them bodies and the spirits are out there floating around. One of my responses was, are you Mormon? Because that's what Mormons believe, that there are spirit babies that get bodies eventually, right? That's what they believe. But here, that, that is an ad hoc argument. When, when you say, when, when you get pinned in a debate and you think you're scrambling, I got to answer this somehow. So you come up with something. It's just right on the spot. You don't have any evidence for it. You haven't looked it up. You haven't researched it. You don't know whether or not it really holds any water. And so you throw it out there, that's ad hoc. So because he didn't have any, he was trapped, he says, well, God created babies and put them in later so his days were from old. Where's, where's your evidence for that? If you're going to say something like that, you got to have evidence. Otherwise, it's ad hoc. And ad hoc is the weakest argument you could get. There are some people, when you're debating them, and you're going to recognize this now, you're talking to them about whatever, God, or maybe it could be about anything, and, and they are wrong. And so they just start firing back at you ad hoc arguments. They're just shaking off everything you're saying because they're not being honest debaters and they're firing back just. And when you recognize that, realize that you've got them on that point when they start doing that. And the thing to do is to go back to them and say, well, where's your evidence for that? Instead of just kind of like I mocked them a little bit, it probably would have been better for me to say, can you show me your evidence for that? Where, where does it say that God created spirits before he created people? that there are a bunch of baby spirits out there right now. Where does it even ever say anything like that at all? 
That's the best way to handle it. But this is an amazing prophecy that not only, not only narrows it down. Jesus is, is the seed of the woman. Then he's the seed, the descendant of Abraham that's going to bless the whole world. Then he's the descendant of Judah. Then he's the descendant of David. And now he's born in Bethlehem. So it's just, it's, it's all reducing down in order for the Messiah to be able to be the only one that could fulfill all of these incredible prophecies. Now I have one more prophecy for you. And this one comes from Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. And it's a prophecy about a child again, but it's got the same nature these other two had. Remember that Isaiah 7, 14 was, a virgin will bring a child and he will be called Emmanuel, God with you. Out of Judea will come one who will, out of Bethlehem will come one who will rule the world. His days are from old. So we're just getting a picture of this Messiah and that his person is someone much greater than a child being born. So in Isaiah 9, 6, it's similar. It says this, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. The Bible says God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son. There's a child who would be born that would be born for us and would be given to us. And it says, and the government will be upon his shoulders. He's going to rule and he's going to reign. The Bible says that he's going to rule and reign in the millennium and he's going to rule and reign forever, forever and ever. Amen. Right. And the government will be upon his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God everlasting father, prince of peace. A child who was born and given who would be called mighty God. I was talking to Jehovah Witnesses one day at my door and they, we were, and I always tried to get to Jesus, okay? They, they want to argue about hell or they want to argue about whether Jesus crucified on a cross or a stake or they want to argue about different things. But I always tell them, let's just talk about Jesus. I'll talk with you as long as we talk about the person of Jesus. They don't believe that Jesus is God. And so I said, I gave them this verse and they read it and they went, well, it says he's mighty God, not God. <laughs> and again, you go, well, how many, I didn't say, I don't know that I said this to him, but how many mighty gods are there? <laughs> Doesn't even say that, you know, that he will be called God. You say, where does it say that Jesus is God? Well, this is an Old Testament passage that tells us that. I thought about it later on. I probably should have brought them to, to Revelation chapter one where there's a vision of Jesus, glorified Jesus. And Jesus says, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last. I am he who was alive, who died and am alive forevermore. Just in case you're wondering who that is there, right? And then he says, the Almighty. But I have a feeling that they would have said something like, it doesn't say Almighty God. <laughs> but of course you don't have to. If you guys came to church today and I said, listen, I got a special announcement for you. I want you guys to know that me, Robert Furrow, I am the Almighty. Is there any way that you would think that I wasn't saying I was God? Is there any way that you wouldn't go, is it time to make, you know, Pantano Christian? Can we go to another church? <laughs> because we know what Almighty means. The Bible clearly teaches that Jesus is God. And here is this Old Testament passage. Same with Isaiah 7, 14. Same with Micah 5, 2. They tell us that this child is someone who is different. Now, remember in Daniel chapter um, 7, the, there's, a, there's a vision of the Ancient of Days with thrones. And the Son of Man comes on clouds. The term Son of Man simply means human. A human comes on clouds and meets the Ancient of Days 
And the human is given power and dominion and glory to rule forever and ever. It's that complexity of God in the Old Testament. Everything that we've looked at today is in the Old Testament that speaks of Jesus being God. And there's more to it. There's so much complexity that is there that reveals these truths to us. Now, if the, this is just the tip of the iceberg for prophecy. There are, are many of them that talk about Jesus and many of them that talk about other things. So it's a beginning of a study that maybe you want to do. Maybe you want to pour into. If you say, I really would like to know more about this, where do I start? I would suggest a couple of books. There's a book by Lee Strobel called a, The Case for Faith. He's also got The Case for Christ, which is the case for Jesus as the Messiah. But The Case for Faith is just for, for how do we get our Bible? How do we know it's from God? Um, and um, a, a lot of other things. He goes into prophecy in that book. There's also the book by Josh McDowell called More Than a Carpenter. It's been redone recently by Sean McDowell and Josh McDowell together. Sean is his son. And they've redone it because there were a couple of errors in his first book. And so they corrected those errors. And then they added some more modern day, some, some later findings into the book, uh, More Than a Carpenter. It's more of a heady book. So if you're more of a student and you want to take time to really dive into something that's a little bit deeper, then the, um, the More Than a Carpenter would be a good book for that. A Case for Faith is much easier read, all right? But it's going to lay out a lot of things that are there. That's a good starting point. But if you're going to really study prophecy in the Bible, if you're going to say, well, if it's God's signature, I want to know what it says, you're in for a trip. There's a lot of things that are here that are absolutely amazing. And in conclusion, what do we do with that? What do I do with that? Well, I know what I do with it. I, I want to know God more. If God gave his word, if this is prophetically accurate, then it's spiritually accurate as well. If it's geographically and historically and archaeologically, even at points scientifically accurate, then it's spiritually accurate. And we can put our trust in it. And so when it says that we should live a certain way, it's because that's the best way for you to live. We might fight that. We might say, no, I got a better way to live. But you don't. You just have to go down that road and then head, head into head and back. So you would want to surrender yourself wholeheartedly to him. And for, for believers, that just means we might just say to him today, like I want to say to him, Lord, I, I see your prophecies. I know you're telling the truth and I want to live it. Help me. For some of you that don't know the Lord, it may be the first time that you would say, I want to live for God. If this is his signature, I want to live for him. I want to give my life to him today. And I want to start down that journey uh, that, of, of discovering what being a Christian really is all about. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the richness of your word. We thank you that you reveal to us through your word, the evidence, through what you have said, that you are going to tell us things that are going to happen before they happen. And we thank you that we have that evidence. And Lord, may we not become inoculated against the amazingness of these prophecies that are found in the pages of Scripture. But may we grab onto them and hold onto them knowing that everything else is true because you signed it by giving us these prophecies. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.